Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here with Mark, episode 214, Friday the 5th of November 2021 and as I said last week Mark it's getting closer to the holiday period and people need to jump on to Vet Gurus and oh Mr Outro Man jumped out earlier there <laughs> VetGurus.com see the link or go to straight to our Etsy store Etsy.com E-T-S-Y dot com and search for Vet Gurus store and buy some gear um, and that's my only plug, Mark, apart from thanks to all our main sponsors, which is Specialised Animal Nutrition, Microchips Australia, and the fantastic Chemical Essentials, Mark. So how have you been? Been wonderful, Brendan. We've actually been wonderful. Well, I've had a very relaxing day, Mark, and as we had a quick little chat before we started here, we're recording a tad early this week, uh, and we're actually recording on that unique day here in Victoria, Mark, that you know well about, um, the Melbourne Cup Day, where we have a public holiday for a horse race, which I still think is just about the only place in the in the known universe where we have a holiday for a horse race. So we've had a day off here, Mark, and I've just potted around, I've did a bit of a bit of um, maintenance on the house and um, sat outside, had a bit of a read and a bit of a snooze just quietly um, mid-afternoon because it was quite warm today. And uh, it's been a good day, Mark. It has been a good day. And I hear you're planning to to do a bit of diving soon. Is that correct? Indeed, indeed. I uh, I was very lucky to, um, to get a gift from my wonderful wife of a trip to Lady Elliot Island. And uh, so we're just prepping everything at the moment uh, in readiness to go over. It looks like it's going to be a little bit windy, so a few snorkels and a few dives will be, um, hopefully the visibility will be good. And Lady Elliot Island, Brendan's a wonderful place because not only is there stuff to see under the water, uh, but it, there's a uh, large seabird rookery. Um, and uh, and this time of year, we might even see a couple of the large female green turtles lumber up the beach and lay those ping pong shaped eggs, a couple of hundred of those, into a divot in the beach. So um, all all in all, an exciting time over the next few days. It looks wonderful, Mark. You're going to have a fantastic time. And tell me, do you still spit in your mask? As, as part of the method to um, keep your masks mask free when you're doing either snorkeling or scuba diving, or is there a is there's there a some fancy? Now. Yeah, is yeah. there? Yep, yep. Are they as good as spit? <laughs> no, nothing is as good as this surface tension altering uh, value of a little bit of a good gob saliva, saliva. Yes, I just. Um, just popped into my head that mark um, because I've I knew there was some sort of so so do you do you, so you do use the sprays those that's right of, um, yep. those surfactant type um, sprays or whatever they are yes uh, well you need to go back to using a bit of a good gob of spit <laughs> yes yes well 
I, I said I'd do a review, didn't I, Mark, um, previously? So I'll do a quick one. And it's about a t- – well, I can do a two-in-one, two reviews for the price of none because we're not charging for this. And the first one is um, I'm, I'm quite enjoying the Apple TV Plus series foundation, Mark. And as you know, I – during our last lockdown last year, I, I reread the whole Foundation series book by Isaac Asimov. Um, I think it was seven plus books, depending on whether you count what you count in the in the series. There, um, so Apple um, paid a fair bit of money, and it looks like they spent a fair bit of money to um, produce season one. And I expect it'll go for several seasons. And the thing I like about it is they're doing it as a season. Um, as a series um, rather than just trying to pump out this complex series of books you know in one or two or a trilogy of movies so I'm thoroughly enjoying it Mark I I really like it Um, and it's it's um, well reasonably close to some of the events that happen in the series of books but reasonably different that um it's enjoyable because it is different as well. So, yeah, that's what I'm watching at the moment, Mark. And the other one which I'll review is semi-related to that, another, another classic science fiction book or series again, which I've started rereading again, is Dune, Mark. Um, did you ever read the Dune trilogy or not? I did indeed. And funnily enough, I, uh, in preparation for... Um, to see the the um, movie has has gotten outstanding um, reviews, and I've just literally bought uh, the paperback to read while we're away on holiday, so that I can come at it all fresh. Yes, and I've well, I've I've started reading the the um, book again. I've I popped it on the Kindle actually, so I'm reading it there at the moment. But I have ordered sort of a collector's edition um, version of the actual dead tree um, version and I'll be reading that as well Mark um, and yes I have I've seen the film um, and it it it's very good yeah I, 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 I don't think it's quite as good as what people um, my opinion anyway is is um, it's not fantastic it's, it's very good um, perhaps I was a little bit spoiled spoilt by watching the foundation series um, episodes um, before the June because yeah they were both Sumptuous, Mark, is the word I'd say um, wow. for, for their um, for their um, set designs, and the music is very, very good on Dune. Um, I'm trying to remember the the name of the director, um, the the director um, Villeneuve or something. It's the same director who did um, the newest Blade Runner, Mark. So you yes. can imagine how um, atmospheric it is, the Dune movie. So yeah, did a good job. Um, it. It finishes. Um, it's well. That this the silly thing was that they originally only funded for the one movie, so they made the one movie. Although it ends a bit like Lord of the Rings or one of those where you know it's you know it's, it just stops basically. It just stops, um, and you know it's only one of one of several parts. Um, and yet they weren't funded um, for any more, and they only announced a couple of weeks ago, I think, that they've got the funding for for um, part two um, of Dune, um, which is a bit crazy. So you just wonder, you know, they assembled all the cast and, you know, with the big blockbusters like 
Lord of the Rings, etc. They filmed, you know, all three at once um, and had all the actors and all the set designers and the sets together, um, whereas this one they all stopped filming and they've all gone on to other projects and now they have to try and get them back together. Um, whether they destroyed any of the sets or not, I don't know. Um, I'm fascinated with your, like, um, you're usually, well... You, I hope you're not offended when I say you're easily impressed by any science fiction movie. <laughs> you do have um, good judgment. You're a Blade Runner fan, and and uh, but um, oh, the the critics that I normally hold in high esteem are effusive about Dune. So your slightly guarded um, uh, uh, assessment. Oh, that, that's interesting. You've set the catamites, the pigeon, Brendan. It's a good film. There's no doubt about it. Um, but. I don't think it's quite as fantastic of it, everybody um, says, apart from me. <laughs> so there you go. They're the, um, catching up on a little bit of the science fiction. And yes, I've, I've, like you, I've got, I'm really enjoying the reread of June, um, the first book. Um, yeah, I'm a few hundred pages into it and I'm, Thoroughly enjoying it. So, yeah, and I think I'm going to continue enjoying it. So there you go. That's my review, Mark. Excellent. I'll go into my first news story, Brendan. Yes. Um, it's um, I, Ever since we went to Antarctica and saw those blue whales around South Georgia, I've just been, um, uh, well, consumed by trying to get as much information as I can about them and learn as much as I can about them. So this was a news story to me you sent. And um, and it, but it doesn't surprise me. This 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 one is the story of um, how blue whales help to regulate the climate, and how that might have an effect on the weather in eastern Australia. And it's a, a fascinating story about um, I don't know the the way that the the planet is interwoven, the web of life as we like to think of it. At um, the story set, uh, focuses on. Um, the rising population of blue whales in um, in the Indian Ocean who feed in Indonesia's Banda Sea, just north northwest of Australia, and in feeding um, in the deeper layers of the ocean, um, they actually serve to circulate those deeper layers as they dive. And if they dive in any number, they drive a significant amount of the colder, deeper water up to the surface and significantly, apparently, significantly contribute to the cooling of the water at the top and thereby, by such an amount, uh, change the, the, um, the weather patterns of the planet. Significantly for us in Australia, um, this action, like a pump on a fridge, um, tends to moderate the extremes of global temperature and weather. But in Australia, because the cooler air that's generated from um, the Indian Ocean goes over Australia and, and that cooler air is drier, we often have uh, much more dramatic dry periods um, and that combined with the, um, the extra wind uh, of last summer, uh, of the, um, yeah, the summer of 2020 when uh, we had those fires, um, 
it, it, it appears that there is a relationship between these uh, the, act, the population of blue whales and their action in the Banda Sea and the likelihood that we'll have extreme weather events here on eastern Australia. Um, it just does make me think that um, we don't realise how complex and, and interconnected our, um, our life support system is on this planet, Brendan. Gaia, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> um, blame it on the whales. Is that what you're saying, Mark? Of course. Blame it on the whales. In fact, um, this actual article that we'll have a link to at vetgurus.com for this particular episode, um, the original article, because this has been updated, um, the title of it was something similar to Blame It on the Whales, Mark. Um, And I think they rewrote it um, because they might have had a bit of backlash from that because the title now is How Blue Whales Help Regulate Climate (laughs) by Stirring and Fertilising the Ocean, whereas the original... I think the original um, title was something like um, How Whales um, Increase the Chance of Forest Fires in in Australia. So so quite interesting. Yes, Um, and it is quite complex, isn't it? And it did take us a few minutes, took me more than a few minutes to try and nut out. Took me a few minutes, took me a few hours. how How this whole process worked. And there is a... There's an interesting little hand-drawn little diagram there, isn't there, Mark, with the I fish love, and the I whale? I love that and, whole – in that whole article, there's beautiful, beautiful photographs and and uh, um, diagrams, but then that line drawing looks like, oh, we haven't explained it well enough. We'll just stick this one in. Yes, yes. So, yes, fascinating, Mark. Well, mine's not quite as technical as your one there, but um, I thought it was quite – an interesting article and uh the title is this one is hanging rhinos upside down is vital for their converse conservation and uh, basically saying that suspending rhinos from their feet is a crucial part of conserving the species according to a new study well it wasn't much of a study it was just looking at several rhinos and the bottom line is mark that um they need to translocate or transport these enormous animals um and previously the typical thing they would do is sedate or anaesthetize them um and a study where they um looked at 12 rhinos mark and they suspended them upside down by their feet um they determined based on this number equals 12 that it's safer than the other method um so they did say that um it improved ventilation supposedly um I don't know whether that just means that you're flying a bit faster with them upside down or what. Um, but um, And they did say that it, it, it brings to light important information about safely transporting rhinos for conservation purposes. But we need to be a little bit careful about interpreting some of these things, Mark. Um, so I just sort of quite a quite – it was a bit of a clickbait one, I suppose. Um, um, and some so interest- do, I, do I understand the article correctly in that they're sedating all of them? They're using um, those uh, potent opioids um, that are used for large animals, but the, they – transport them differently like sometimes they just let them flop and other times they hang them upside down once they're sedate is that am i reading that correctly i think so i think so um i i have a feeling that one of the methods when they didn't hang them upside down they said basically in a little harness that goes around their 
you know, their chest and their yeah. ab- abdominal region, and perhaps that's why the, the, this method allows them to breathe a little bit better. Um, yeah. Some pretty good photos, though, isn't there, of them slung upside down um, across, uh, across the wilderness. So, yeah, so there you go. Hanging rhinos upside down is vital in in quote marks, um, for their conservation scientists. So we'll see what happens when they somebody publishes a paper next year when they have a few that die from that method. <laughs> perhaps perhaps not. So let's jump into our main topic, Mark, um, and it's one that we, I certainly get a lot of calls from and emails from other veterinarians, Mark. How do I extract incisor teeth from a rabbit's mark? And I'm sure you... You have had lots of calls and contact from other veterinarians and veterinary clinics saying, look, we have a, a rabbit in here that needs its incisors removed. How do we do that? Um, but first we go through that process. Before we go through that process, I think we should talk about why we see these rabbits where we need to extract those incisor teeth mark. And what's the main reason why we may be doing that? Well, I think the most common reason um, is the um, is brachycephalica that um, we've, you know we've bred um, cute rabbits with squashed in faces, and that's changed the geometry um, uh, at the at the the front of the the um, maxilla and mandible, and um, changes occlusion, and and then um, we're not getting normal wear. So I would say most commonly the animals are genetically predisposed to it, Brendan. Yep, exactly. So they've got bad teeth. So I think the key there for people who don't see many rabbits is that if you see a young rabbit, typically one that's less than one year of age that has obviously trouble eating or, or or the client usually brings them in and says hey i think it's got a, a bit of a tooth that's um, a bit long and it needs cutting back um, chances are pretty high it's a one of those rabbits that has been has a genetic predisposition or it's been inbred um, it has that brachycephalic syndrome as you call it and it has bad incisor teeth um, so the key there is that the vast majority of these patients their cheek teeth their back teeth their premolars and molars are usually pretty good aren't they mark it's usually the case it um it uh is there's rare occasions where we will have severe um uh, cheek teeth disease and then secondarily we'll have uh, problems with uh, incisors but um generally if uh, they're presented for um incisor disease particularly malocclusion then, um, then that's something that uh, um, is is often not associated with disease of those teeth. Yes, more cordially for those young ones, definitely. For the older ones, you're spot on there. And that if you see a rabbit that's, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, or eight, for instance, that has problems with those incisors, that they are typically secondary to the cheek teeth with those older ones. But these young ones um, just think incisor. Problems think genetics and apologies to any of our listeners if they hear some knocking in the background. Our neighbours doing a bit of repair of the fence. I don't know whether you can hear that. <laughs> Cannot. I can't hear it at this end. Good. But. Good. Um, so the good news is um, 
if we get in there and remove those incisors, Mark, um, and we've certainly done many, many rabbits where we've removed all of those incisors, um, the vast majority of them do fantastically and they go and live an otherwise normal life and, and yet they have no incisor teeth there because in rabbits those incisors are basically there to to roughly grab and help slice up or, or like a pair of scissors to chop up the food and pass it to those back teeth. So um, another important thing to remember is we have six incisors in rabbits. We have four upper incisors. So we have the two obvious front ones and then we have the second incisors there which are typically called the peg teeth uh, and then we have two lower incisors um, and it's a procedure that we just want to try and walk through um, over our podcast which is a bit of a challenge but um, for, <laughs> because it is something that I think um, you know people should have a bit of a crack at it have a, as you often say Mark have a go at this because it's 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 a process that I think that can be learned fairly readily um, and there are specific instruments that we will be talking about that greatly enhance the chance of removing them but you can get away with other bits of equipment that will help you remove those incisors um, if you don't have the specialised rabbit dental extractors mark for the so incisors. Before we go on to the specific technique, which is probably where we should spend most of our time, um, I quickly want to touch on um, clients who choose who ask you to look at alternatives. So yes. we have a group of clients who um, who ask us to regularly bird down those teeth um, and. And I would just quickly emphasise that under no circumstances would we ever consider using um, uh, some form of nail clippers or um, uh, ring removers to cut the teeth. The, the, um, the process of cutting them is very likely to create micro fractures that uh, rise up and make it much more likely to develop, that will develop um, uh, abscessation of the tooth root. So we um, really avoid uh, using uh, clippers or whatever to cut the teeth. Um, but we will, with certain animals, um, uh, you know, use a dental uh, drill to um, quickly under uh, a light anaesthetic um, to remove the the teeth back at the level of the gum in certain individuals. Um, but it is stressful to the rabbit. It's uh, the costs at an at each individual burring might be less than a, a complete extraction. But over time, it doesn't take too many of those to exceed the cost of the extraction and the extraction solves the problem brendan yes um, and i think if you go through it with this client and and walk them through the fact that hey this is a you know six month old rabbit or a one year old rabbit and hopefully your rabbit will live to eight to ten to twelve years of age and if we're having your rabbit back every four to eight weeks to to cut back these incisors, not only is it the inconvenience of doing that, the cost certainly mounts up over those 10 years and will be more than the extraction of those incisors. But I tend to also stress the the stress um, and the discomfort um, potentially for that rabbit um, for it coming in and having that um, um, cutting back of those incisors every, every month or so, Mark. And, and once I have a bit of a think about that, I think most of them, to end up um, electing to go for the incisor extraction. 
So tell me about your technique, Brendan. Uh, what what sort of uh, equipment do you use? Yeah, so before I had the specific rabbit gear, um, which is um, incisor extractors or incisor luxators, I suppose we should be saying, which um, are most readily available from IM3, um, the veterinary dental company, the um, people who's, who... Um, most commonly sell them. Um, you can, there are a few other um, manufacturers that you can purchase them from, from but I am three. Um, I used to use just bent needles, Mark, So, yes. um, and that was just using either an 18-gauge or a 20-gauge needle. Um, so we anaesthetise the rabbit and look up vetgurus.com um, for rabbit anaesthesia and you should be able to find some previous podcasts where we chat about anaesthesia of rabbits, although I don't think we've had one specifically just on rabbit oh, well, anaesthesia. There's, there's so our next topic. We'll need to do that very shortly. Um, so we have the rabbit anaesthetised mark. Uh, these days I also use a local anaesthetic block mark, um, a dental sort of block, um, and that seems to um, provide them increased um, post-operative comfort. Um, so we're just using lignocaine there. That's something we probably won't go into any more detail here, but I do do a local anaesthetic block. And, yeah, previously I just I would bend a appropriate gauge needle mark um, to approximate the curvature of the rabbit in front of me. Um, so we're then placing that needle on well, basically all four quadrants um, of that tooth and and trying to break down the periodontal ligament, um, fairly similar to what we'd be doing if we're extracting a tooth with you know, a dog or a cat, for instance. We're just trying to break down the attachments on all four quadrants and we're gently trying to put a bit of... And then I'll be grabbing the actual tooth with a, with a, well, if I didn't have the dental extractor forceps, I'd be just be using a, 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 um, a um, hemostat or, or equivalent or, or um, needle driver and gently pulling or pushing the tooth to one side, holding it for a few minutes and then going to another side, um, doing a bit of, bit of torsional force on it. Um, so we're breaking down that periodontal ligament just like we're, are taught to do with with our um, teeth, with our other species there, Mark. And, and, so and one you, of the tricks I, I reckon this is a good time to point out, Brendan, is that you do the the I like the idea of the quadrant. You know, thinking a quadrant, the cross sectional nature of those teeth are, is a quad, roughly quadrilateral, and you want to work on each of those four sides. And I'll often, when I'm using the needles, bend them to match the the curvature on that side uh, getting the bevel appropriately arranged so I can stick it close to the the um, the tooth and divide it from the periodontal ligament but the one thing that's really important is when you're like you said lever it a little bit laterally lever it um, only five maybe ten degrees medially but don't twist around its axis you can't you'll snap the tooth won't you brendan as soon as you you uh, try and twist it in any way um you know the only movements that should be applied to these incisors are very slightly laterally um i suppose it's dorsally um and along the rotation the 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 diameter of the circle as the you know in the shape of the tooth don't twist them 
I think the key is take your time with these and don't be in a rush with them. Um, And yes, you will have times um, where the tooth fractures and the key there is to not try and, well, I don't anyway, I don't know, I'd be interested to see what you say, Mark. Um, I don't try and remove the the fractured tooth um, and I go on to the next tooth um, of those six um, and hopefully the other five come out well and I then send that rabbit home and I wait to see whether or not that tooth regrows and it comes and we have another crack at removing it once it's back out past the gum line there Mark that's my method and I usually say my my usual throwaway line to the clients is um, and I go through this with them and um, because these teeth sometimes they've been broken off because the clients haven't bothered bringing the animal into the vet and it's broken off several times and and not very good quality teeth by them because they have sort of had those fractures or longitudinal fractures on them as well Um, so they are prone to um, breaking anyway um, because they're not great quality teeth Um, and I do mention to the client that there is a possibility that we don't extract that whole tooth um, properly Um, I say to them look we might have to go back in there another time and I say the third goes free if we end up having to do it the third time. And touch wood, 99% of them we get on the first or the second go. Um, and don't you that. love that, um, the appearance, like uh, I liken it to a slightly bent match with the, you know, the red end. Pulp. The, the yeah, gen, gen, yeah. Yeah, the, yes. The germinal pulp. Yes. And when you get that out, it's one of those little dancer jig moments you feel yes. like you've done the right thing. Do you do anything to... Um, to try and uh, destroy any remaining germinal epithelium? Or? Ah, no. Yes. No? So just before we jump on that, um, so the, the final bit of the extraction, we've loosened Sorry. that tooth, tooth. And it's usually once you've done that, the wiggle um, <laughs> for a while, and it, and, it, and it sort of gives way, doesn't it? It suddenly becomes a lot looser. Then you extract the tooth, and that's just mm-hmm. gently removing that tooth um, with a little bit of first we're not... Um, um, hardly any force because we've, we've broken down all the periodontal ligament, etc. Um, remove it in a curvature um, that approximates the curve of the tooth mark as an important bit. So you remove it on a curve because we have those curved roots. Um, yes, I don't destroy that germinal tissue there. I don't, um, you know, one of the one of the um, thoughts at one stage with a lot of um, people was that you then invert the tooth and pop it back into the socket there and, and ram it down there because you're trying to stop any any uh, remnant of the, the germinal tissue or tooth that you've left in there um, from recurring again. Um, but I think it's been shown that if doing that can actually cause, not only cause trauma but it can start off um, some germinal tissue and there has been some pretty funky pictures mark i don't know whether you've seen them of teeth that sort of grow sideways or through a nasal cavity because people have done that um you know ramming something down there and trying to um, destroy the germinal tissue so my answer is a definite no as it should be i agree i think um uh it's almost impossible to guarantee that you're going to destroy that germinal tissue and poking anything down there is only just likely to... and it's usually pretty obvious isn't it like you yeah. said when when if you extracted the tooth correctly you, you can see that sort of i call it the pulp um at the base of that tooth that's extracted and you 
pat yourself on the back and you know you've done a good job and then you attack the next tooth mark. So what do we do once, assuming we remove all those six incisors? Um, the pink teeth can, I find, a bit more problematic than the others for me, Mark, because they're fairly fine and and quite readily break. Um, so if any of them's going to break, um, for me, it tends to be the pink teeth. I agree. It's usually if I do ever have to return um, and do them, it, it's generally the peg teeth that are the problematic ones because, as you said, they're much smaller and generally protected by the, the larger incisors. And uh, once you've gotten those guys out, they, they, they can be a little bit fragile. So what do you do with those big holes we've got left there, Mark? Well, initially, I uh, when I first started doing this, I would have just left them because I was trying to get the rabbit awake as quickly as possible. But now I do have a tendency to um, uh, to grab the mucosa and uh, and um, and uh, sew it closed, undermine it maybe a little bit. If uh, if it's there's some rabbits where that mucosa is fixed firmly, the dental mucosa, the gingival mucosa is fixed firmly to the the um, the jaw in that region. But um, but I I find that um, open I worry that things are going to get impacted in there and and cause ongoing pain and discomfort and so we tend to whack a couple of sutures in and close them up well no surprise here Mark I do exactly the same and um, yeah I just like to close over those little sockets there what about other post-op care with them what sort is there any particular things you need to pay attention to over, over those next few days or few weeks for that rabbit Mark well like you I, I have found that local anesthetic blocks have markedly improved the the uh, that sort of immediate post-op period um, uh, but I still maintain um, um, some fairly aggressive analgesia over those uh, first few days, assuming that um, once the local wears off, there's going to be some discomfort and we want that rabbit to continue eating. I make sure I get the client to have a look at the wound because it is a little bit difficult to, um, you know, things can be going wrong in there and uh, if the owner's um, don't pay attention. The rabbit can might not let them have an easy look. Then, um, then that can be problematic. But making sure that the owners, if they can, have a look. Um, and sometimes I just make some adjustments to the intake, um, just so that uh, you know the rabbit would normally grasp. Um, use those prehensile, hensile natures of the incisor, chopping bits to length um, for the molars. And so we might have. Um, um, some critical care from small animal nutrition, from uh, um, uh, Oxbow, the um, uh, animal, our, one of our main sponsors. Um, and uh, yes. um, I find that if we use that for the first few days after um, one of these, then we can maintain nutrition and protect um, that area so that the rabbits are not uh, inadvertently grabbing things with the healing tissue. Yeah, and I think... As I mentioned at the start, the vast majority of rabbits do fantastic and they cope well. And in the long run, it's amazing how many of these rabbits where you've extracted all the incisors, say they're eating a, a normal diet um, and the owners eventually are not cutting up hay or veggies or um, and, and they're, they're grazing in the backyard 
and they cope him well. You do get the odd rabbit that struggles, um, and that may be a rabbit where the owner does have to, you know, slice up or cut up the food a little bit to shorter pieces for them. Um, and certainly within that first few days or, or few weeks, I do mention that to the client during that transitional period that the rabbit th- um, needs to learn that hey, I haven't, I don't have those incisors, but I, they can certainly still use their gums and their lips to 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 grab those those food items. So, do any other comments, Mark, about um, rabbit incisors? But um, I'd, I'd recommend having a crack, as you always say, Mark. Have a go at this. Um, um, have a look at some of the the textbooks or descriptions of of removing them. Um, but the the methods are, are basically very similar to what we've gone over here, and it's it's something that I think is very satisfying to do. And and you know that you've managed to succeed in removing all those incisors for that rabbit and it will have a a very very good life where it doesn't have to come back every few weeks for for cutting back or burying back those those incisors brendan there's one quick last uh thing i would mention um that is um i noticed a difference between when we got the um the uh uh, specific tools, the um, rabbit incisor luxators, um, they're excellent tools. Um, but there was one, the the needles that we used, those 18-gauge needles, um, they were a little bit easier to tailor to each individual rabbit. Um, and because of the circular nature of those needles, I was able maybe to apply a little bit more force. The specific tools um, are probably a little bit, you know, more, they're, they're well shaped and, uh, and specifically curved to get in um, with much more ease and without having to fiddle around with uh, shaping the needle. But I found that... Um, that if I applied the same force as I used to with the needle when I, when I was using the luxators, I had I have broken one of those luxators in that position, and that obviously caused a big headache. Um, so I reckon just being patient and even a little bit more gentle when you use those specific instruments might lessen the risk of, uh, of ending up with a bit of metal stuck next to the tooth in the jaw. Yes, I think it's a... An acquired technique using those, but they certainly are a time saver um, when you use them correctly. And and I strongly recommend those those particular instruments for extracting the teeth um, of the incisors in rabbits. And and perhaps we'll chat about cheek teeth removal in in another episode, um, Mark. And then we'll talk about the problematic guinea pig and um, trying to remove teeth from guinea pigs and um, that one's a bit of a headache isn't it Mark (laughs) but um, spoiler alert there Um, and I think with that Mr Outro is about to jump in and we'll talk to you all next week have a great week thanks for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.